want you to know last week we started a very short mini-series, if you will. It sounded redundant when I said that. <laughs> a short series of lessons dealing with our faith, and we looked at that phrase in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, from faith to faith, and saw that obscure um, phrase, if you will, that sometimes we're just not used to. And when we looked at that phrase, you know, well, we may not have necessarily understood all the details, and there's a lot of interpretations that scholars have given. And so we might have our own opinions as to the details of that text. But the general message is very clear, found in verse 17 and found in that overall thought in verses 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1. And that is that the righteousness of God is revealed to us through that gospel message. We've seen it. That gospel message actually showing the righteousness of God about Jesus Christ. We see the righteousness of God through him. And so we looked at that phrase and, and saw within that surrounding text that overall message of what that means from faith to faith in light of what Paul is trying to get at. And what we're doing in this morning is looking beyond that phrase to another phrase that is somewhat obscure. And that is the law of faith. You ever stop to think about the law of faith and that phrase, what that means? That we're talking about some standard rule of belief? Was Paul talking about laws under the New Testament? What was he talking about? And so those are the things that we're looking at. And this is in the middle of a three-part uh, series. And next week we're going to look at the next phrase, which is a lot easier for us to understand, but tie it in with what we're looking at right now. And that is this concept of faith without works. So we'll look at that, Lord willing, next Sunday. But look at this obscure phrase found in verse 27 that Ben just read for us. He said, where is the boasting then? It is excluded, based upon what he had just said. By what law is, the, is such excluded then? Of works? That is, the law of works? He says, no, it's excluded because of the law of faith. And interesting enough, when we look at that phrase and we ask ourselves what it means, you're going to get like other people from the other passage in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, different opinions different interpretations of the passage and opinions of what the text means. And when we look at this phrase and try to understand what it means, the next question that we need to ask, I believe, is how does it affect our walk? Just like that phrase last week, from faith to faith. How does understanding this passage actually move me to live in a particular way that shows that we live by this law of faith? And hopefully when we understand and can apply that to us in our lives, our walk with God, will bring glory to him, just as was prayed by our brother this morning. And so the first thing we need to understand is this role that law plays in this phrase and in the overall message that Paul is writing to the saints that roam about. You see, when we look at the word law, we, we know what law means. We don't have to bust out the lexicons or the dictionaries and say, now what is the definition of law? We don't have to look at all the Greek words like namas and so on and so forth and go, okay, now we know what that means. We already know what law is. We see it in our everyday lives. But we do need to understand the role that law plays regarding our relationship to God through Jesus Christ. That is very key, very essential, if you will, to what was just said in verses 19 through 27. And particularly, Lord willing, as we look at that, the works or faith without works, we're going to see the rest, verse 28, following through this chapter, and then also in James, how that faith without works applies to our walk as well. And so we're going to see um, these things in the next two lessons. First of all, 
I want you to go back to Romans chapter 1. What we're going to do is kind of set the stage here in getting that understanding of the role of law as given because Paul is focused on this whole concept in the first, basically the first five, six chapters. And you're even going to see it in chapter 7 when he uses the illustration even of marriage pertaining to law. And then that concept continues to unfold through the remainder of this letter. Well, again, Romans chapter 1, Paul says in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, in that gospel, is the righteousness of God, or the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And when we look at the text here, it says very explicitly that God's righteousness is revealed through this message. And ultimately the message says that God's righteousness is revealed through Jesus Christ. We saw that last week. Well, there's another message that is simultaneous to this one. That as the gospel is relaying and revealing the righteousness of God, the law, and that is the law of God, and that general law, even though he's going to deal specifically with the law of Moses, that law itself reveals the unrighteousness of man. That's what's going on at the same time when Paul is writing to the brethren there. So he's got this concept of preaching the gospel, right? And that's the whole theme, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that righteousness that God reveals comes through him. And at the same time, and what he's wanting the brethren who are these Judaizing teachers, and for anyone else who has the same mindset and principle, law reveals that mankind is unrighteous. Who can deny it? Can anyone here say, I'll listen here. I'm just like that rich young ruler. I kept all these things since my youth. We all stand condemned. And we're going to see that role, if you will, given for us. And Paul starts off then with this whole concept of the whole world being condemned, and he starts off with the Gentiles. He doesn't list them specifically as Gentiles, but the wording would suggest such, even when he makes that contrast later on in chapter 2. We see Gentiles spoken of, generally again, verse 18 through 32, that the wrath of God is against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. That we can see even the invisible attributes of God. It's clearly seen. But you know, there's people that when they can look at the very things that God has made, just look out this beautiful day. Sit down and be quiet for a while. Don't think about all the emails, and text messages, and phone calls, and work. Just sit down and be quiet, and you observe. Observe the veins on that leaf. Look into someone's eyes and wonder how it works. Imagine why the sun always, every single year, on a given day at a specific time, shines in that very same place. You cannot help but understand that God lives. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything within, and he has established various laws. But there are individuals that, while they know these things to be true, do not give thanks to God. And so Paul says these things from verses 18 through the remainder of chapter 1 and condemns these men. But in chapter 2, he does the same thing for the Jews. The Jews who have been given the law of Moses, 
They can know the teachings and would be themselves a guide to the blinds, a guide to the Gentiles. That they would proselytize, if you will. They would go forth and reach these proselytes or potential proselytes, those who are Gentiles, and bring them into the kingdom, if you will, of Israel. He says, you know the law and you boast in God through the law. You teach all these individuals what they're supposed to be doing and how they should be living for God. But you who boast in that law, you teach against these certain things like covetousness, like idolatry, like murder, and so on and so forth. You who know these things and you teach against these things, do you not practice them? And so he condemns the Jews in addition to the Gentiles. Well, who does that leave? I mean, either you're a Jew or you're not a Jew, hence Gentile. There's no one left. So all are condemned. And that's the point of what law does. And when you read Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, he is expounding and making his point as clear as can be, almost lawyer-like, that everyone is condemned when it comes to law. And so when we look at that and contrast that to the gospel, we see the gospel revealing God's righteousness. In fact, look at chapter 3, verse 19. Verse 19, just as was read for us, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And that's what the law does. Well, what is implied in that text? If every mouth is stopped and all men are found unrighteous, what does it say about God? He's righteous. It doesn't say it explicitly, but it's there right in the text. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, verse 20, no flesh will be justified in his sight. God cannot have anyone stand before him who is unrighteous. Because he is. His righteousness demands that we are righteous before him, if we're going to have fellowship with him. And so when we look at that, we see the truth of what we need to do if we're going to stand before God. But here's the thing. Can anyone stand before God condemned without law? Of course not. In fact, chapter 4, verse 15, chapter 5, verse 13, look at what he says in those two texts. In chapter 4, notice back it up to verse 13, and we'll read through verse 15. The promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there's no transgression. Go to chapter 5. He continues on with this concept, in this case, not from Abraham, but from the standpoint of Adam and Jesus Christ. And he uses six illustrations comparing and contrasting Adam to Jesus Christ. But going on through um, verses 12 and 13, notice what he says in chapter 5. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin... And thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Just as a little parenthesis. How does a child who is one, two, three, four, five, six for that matter, maybe even older, who has never ever been taught that stealing is sin, walk into the store not having that knowledge, Take something, because I've had my children do it. Coming out the store, 
until they are put aside and say, that's just wrong, it's sin. You don't steal. They don't know that it's stealing. Chapter 7, verse 7. Paul said, I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Wouldn't know it. But when the law entered his heart, guess what? He stood condemned. That's what law does. The purpose of law is not necessarily to condemn, but that's exactly what sin does by virtue of the law's existence. You're found condemned through the law. And so what we have then is this concept of accountability. And just as Robert Mount says, one cannot break a law that does not exist. Conversely, you can break all kinds of laws that exist that you don't know about. You're still guilty, right? So here's this, this view that Paul is saying. All have fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3, verse 24. We fall short because the law condemns us by virtue of its existence and by virtue of the fact that we've broken them. And especially when you look at it from a very practical standpoint. When, when we're confronted with the truth, when we're confronted with God's righteousness, we stand before him with this knowledge that we are unrighteous. And that no matter how good we may behave, that good moral person does not go to, go to heaven. I guarantee you that. Just because you're good moral, I don't know what that means for that person. It means I didn't do this, I didn't do that. We're all guilty at some point of having either committed murder or adultery of some sort from that mental standpoint, if you will. Not necessarily even the practice. But we've been guilty of arrogance or hatred. Whatever it may be, thus the murder and what have you. And so whatever the situation is, we're guilty because law exists and we've broken it. We may be ignorant to it, but we've broken it. And when it comes to us, then we can understand these things and, of course, face the truth. But here's the point, then, that we have through this role that we have of law. Paul said to the Jews as well as to the Greeks that those who are, those who practice or doers of the law, they receive glory honor, and peace. That's what he says in chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, verse 10, verses 13 through 16. To the Jews and the Greeks. To the Jews who had the law, that is the law of Moses, and to the Greeks, while not having the law of Moses, practice those things that were written in the law. And their conscience would either accuse or excuse them from such. It bore witness. What he says here is, you receive honor, glory, and peace when you're keeper of the law. That said, at the same time, you break any one of those things, you're found condemned. Can you imagine? I think I said this to you all when, when we moved here, because you said, you know, give me some of your life, Mitch, when, when we were talking, and I said, well, remember back in 1999, I got arrested. <laughs> I've been preaching, by the way, for over 10 years by that time. <laughs> I got arrested for not having insurance. It just became state Law in Georgia. Didn't know that it passed. Didn't matter to, to the police officer. You still broke the law if you didn't know about it. Broke the law. No matter, I didn't do any of all the other things, I was guilty. And I have to pay the price of guilt. That's what happens because laws exist. 
And the same thing is true from the standpoint of our relationship with God, that we have law before us, and we're breaking it. So the question is, when we're talking about law and trying to stand before God justified, what role does law have in our stand before God? That's a very important question. This is important to the point of how you think as a Christian, how you think of other Christians, how you think about those who are in this world who need Jesus in their lives, according to the teachings that he's given to us. This is a vital, vital question you need to answer. And this morning, when, when our brother was praying for us, when Tom was praying, you know, if we're going to rightly handle the word of truth and divide it properly, this is one of those areas, I believe, very key to sound doctrine. And so we're looking at this as far as what justifies. Going back to Romans chapter 3 and beginning again, now this time from verse 21. Notice what he's saying here. Again, as was read for us, now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. By the way, and he's going to make this point um, in the latter part of this verse. If apart from the law, that is the law of Moses, the righteousness of God is revealed, how did it do so? Well, he says in the latter part, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. That is, you take the whole, what we consider the Old Testament, all of the scripture that was given for the Jews, the testimony of the scriptures to the prophets, and the teachings found in that law, the law of Moses, all make it so that when we look at this righteousness of God, it was revealed through that law. Just as it's revealed through gospel, and just as it's revealed through ultimately, and both the law and the gospel bring this point out, through Jesus Christ. That's how we can see the righteousness of God. But he goes on to say in verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. See how law and gospel are working together in demonstrating the righteousness of God through Jesus? Because in His, that is God's for, in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that it might be, um, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Well, if that's the case, if the law reveals the righteousness of God and the law is pointing to Jesus and through Jesus we see that he is the propitiation of our sins, through faith that is, he says, where is the boasting then? You cannot have someone like that rich young ruler that says, Lord, I did all these things from, from my youth. I kept all the law, which was not true necessarily. Where's his boasting? It's in himself, in keeping that law. You cannot have a single soul in this room, let alone in this world, that can say, Lord, I was perfect. If that's true, stop and think about this, brethren. You wouldn't need Jesus. Conversely, and this goes to next week's lesson, you have those that says, well then, shall I go ahead and sin that grace may abound and have that mentality? 
What he is saying here is he's getting to that point later on, but in, at this moment, he's making it very clear you cannot be saved by the perfection of law-keeping. That's not how you're saved. He's not going to deny the keeping of the law. He's going to establish the keeping of the law by faith. But what he is saying is your salvation rests not in the keeping of the law, but in Jesus Christ. Now, brethren, we know these things academically. We have Bible studies and we can even verbalize them. But when it comes to living, sometimes we forget that and we still think from perfection. We do. And it affects the kind of fellowship that we have with one another. It's from a standpoint that oh, I could never imagine that brother or that sister doing such and such. And never understand, guess what? I'm guilty of sin. may not be that sin that that brother or sister has been guilty of, but I'm guilty of it. Every one of us in this room stands condemned. We cannot stand before God justified, not by virtue of the law, whether it be the law of Moses or from the standpoint of law-keeping. We're never going to be there. That's a principle found in this text from the standpoint of the law of Moses and law itself. And so we're not justified by the law of works. It says in verse 20, no flesh is justified because through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And every one of us then has been found guilty. We're condemned and is thus accountable. And so there is no boasting in man's righteousness because, well, there is none. There's no righteousness in us. Chapter 3, verse 9 following, verse 10 following. There is none righteous, no, not one. Some people say, well, that Paul was just talking about the Jews. Now, he's condemning everyone now in chapter 3. Everyone. And so we cannot boast regarding the law of works, even though some like to think that way. Some like to live that way. Instead, we have this law of faith. And that's where we're coming to as far as this phrase. Whatever this law of faith is, it's separate and apart from the law of Moses. In fact, when we look at this, it's in direct contrast to the very principle of what's known as the law of Moses, or as he just simply refers to it um, throughout this text in Romans chapter uh, 2 and 3, just law. And simultaneous, synonymous, if you will, is this law of works. In other words, there were these Jews that believed that if somehow you just keep the law, you're good enough for heaven. Jesus was teaching against such. Paul was teaching against such. Peter taught against such. James taught against such. It's in direct contrast to that. In fact, backing up to verse 17 of chapter 2, he says here, Indeed, you who are called the Jew and rest on the law. Make your boasting in the law, so to speak. You make your boast in God through that law. You know his will, approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You've got it down mentally. You, therefore, verse 21, you who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? In other words, you've got it down mentally, but practically speaking, you're just as guilty. That's the whole point for us to understand. We can be great teachers of God's Word. But we're never perfect at even living what we teach. Just ask that to fallen preachers, fallen elders, 
falling Bible class teachers, anyone that has been put up, as brethren have often done, for against or toward other brethren, put them on pedestals, and then they sin. Guess what? They're human. They're breakers of the law. None can stand justified in this regard. And so this law of works, the idea of whether it's from circumcision or in our case it can be from a standpoint of baptism using it that re, in that same way or same vein as the Pharisees did with uh, circumcision, we can look at it from that standpoint. And we know that baptism saves, right? First Peter chapter 3, verse 21, because why? It's an answer of a good conscience. It's by faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's why by faith we adhere to the teachings of, of God under this new covenant that we live. And so instead of these law of works and what have you, we have this law of faith where God graciously justifies the one who through faith in Jesus Christ, as the propitiation or the preparatory sacrifice, if you will, he's the expiation, if you will, of those sacrifices, those two words combined from the standpoint that, listen, for my sins, he died. His blood was shed that I can stand before God. That's really what he's saying. That's the law of faith that Paul is getting at. That's what he means when he says the law of faith. The law of faith is, here's the standard. Jesus saved you from your sins. So simple. The point that he's wanting to make very clearly, because you had these brethren that thought they were good enough by law-keeping. You might have those that would go on the other extreme. That if we cannot keep the law, and if we're saved by the grace of God, then I tell you what, every time I break the law, I get God's grace. Like if one pill does good, maybe a hundred would do better. Take advantage of that. Furthest thing from what Paul is saying. He says, shall we sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. We died to sin that we may live by faith in Jesus Christ, live in righteousness. I'm jumping ahead of next week's lesson, but that's what he's saying right here. But we've got to get it in our minds what law justifies. It's not the law of works. It's not the law of Moses. It's the law of faith in Jesus as the Christ. That's what we have. And so this person then is not saved as a righteous person, as J.W. McGarvey says, but as a pardoned criminal. Do you know that every one of us are pardoned criminals? You ever look at yourself like as a criminal? Me, too distinguished. <laughs> There's some brethren that think that way. We're all parting criminals. This brother put it correctly. How humbling to stand before God as a pardoned criminal. See, you're all guilty, just like me. You're not good enough to stand before Him, but you've been pardoned through Jesus Christ. If that's true, then our boasting is not in ourselves. Our boasting is in the one who died for us. That's why when we sing that song, Exalted, that Phil led for us, we exalt in Him, our God. We exalt in our Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't exalt in ourselves. We're part in criminals. We have nothing to boast of. All that boasting belongs to what God has done for us. And as a result, then, it's this very thing that leads us to next week's lesson. When we talk about faith without works, brethren, we can have all that knowledge in the world about living by faith. 
But sometimes we fail to apply that from a positive standpoint. And we, we talk about these sins of commission and sins of omission. We're talking about living lives where we're supposed to be workers for the Lord. By faith. Faith that Jesus died for us. Now how shall we live? And I cannot make this point any stronger than I'm going to say right now. And I said it already last week. You cannot just be churchgoers. You cannot just sit in pews. You've got to live for the Lord. Can I stress that anymore? I can't do it. All you can do is say, you know what? That's the truth. If my faith is in Jesus Christ, then I live for Him as He died for me. That's how we're justified by faith. When you look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, you get to see those who are justified by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, but that faith manifests itself the way Abraham lived his life, chapter 4. The way Paul lived his life, having turned to the Lord by faith in Jesus. So different. It's life transforming. And so this law of faith, does it belong to your life? Is this a part of who you are? You see, if we're going to be believers in Jesus as the Christ, we share that with everyone. By the way, just as one of our elders had mentioned this morning, I believe it was Don when he was giving the announcement, he commended our young in the congregation because a number of the young went out knocking on doors, trying to reach those in the community who are lost in sin. That's very commendable. But that's just not a one-time deal. It's an everyday life that we have. And that's what we need to live every day. So I'm asking you this morning, do you stand as a pardoned criminal? Is that the way you look at yourself before God? Because that's the way God's Word teaches us. We all stand guilty. Or as Paul says, we fall short of the glory of God. Just as he's saying, though, through this law of faith in Christ, we are able to be justified. Stop and think about that. I remember for all the, the errors that people in, in various denominations can teach, I had a Bible study with a Baptist pastor once um, at their church building, and he said, so what is your understanding of justification? Shoof, right over my head. I had no idea what he was talking about. Brethren, sometimes many of us are the same way. We can know about all kinds of things, but we don't know how we stand justified before God. And I can tell you, it doesn't, it doesn't come by works of the law. Paul said it explicitly. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That faith will manifest itself, as we'll look at next week, and how we live our lives. But that's how we stand justified. So next week, we're going to look at this concept of faith without works. And again, when James deals with that phrase, or Paul is dealing with the principle, not justified by works, but how's your faith?